Mago the Magician. They can help you get auto financing for anything in business for over 32 years. Magic Financing is dedicated to customer satisfaction. If you've got credit issues, they have the answer. No matter what your profile is, they can help. They work with people who have fair, bad, or just terrible credit, repayment history, as well as people who have no money down. That's right, no money down. They're located at 6385 North Federal Boulevard with a great auto inventory. Give them a call at 303-298-1155. That's Magic Financing. Features Mago the Magician. They're open Monday through Friday until 8 and Saturdays till 7. Check them out. That's Magic Financing. Call them today at 303-298-1155. Tell them you heard about it here at KUHSDenver.com. Also visit us at www.magicfinancing.com. Good afternoon and welcome to the council. I'm your host, Charlie Pacello, and boy, do we have a special show for you today. I can't wait to introduce you to my guest, who is sitting right behind me right now, and uh, we've got a fantastic show to talk to you about how the, what are the healing power of the arts, uh, excuse me, of the martial arts, and being able to use them to help balance the forces that are within us. And But before we get into that, I want to make sure that um, I let you know that um, I have a book out. It's called Meditations with Masters of the Axial Age. Many of you have bought it already. It's a fantastic book. The holidays are coming up. Uh, it's a self-help book for the soul. And you get to sit down with six masters from this period of time, of uh, the Axial Age, which was about 900 B.C. to about 200 B.C. And here these great philosophers, artists, masters, poets, we're trying to dive deep into what was going on in the human soul and how do we cultivate truth? How do we master ourselves with the simplicity of life and patience and understanding? And how do we surrender to that which is beyond our control and master ourselves? So if you're interested in those kinds of things, this is the book for you. It's Meditations with Masters of the Axial Age. It's available for purchase. You can buy it on www.store.bookbaby.com. That's store.bookbaby.com. It's also on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, a lot of different platforms. You can get it in paperback and ebook. So check it out. Uh, Meditations with Masters of the Axial Age. Also want to thank uh, KUHS Denver uh, for hosting the council. Uh, we wouldn't be here without KUHS Denver. We have the best programs, best shows, music, platforms, everything that you can imagine a radio, TV show to have, KUHS has. And so we broadcast here live from Denver. We're the number one uh, station out of uh, live streaming, uh, uh, internet radio station here in Denver, broadcasting all across the nation and broadcasting all around the world. Uh, we're tuned. This show is being listened to by people from over 40 different countries. And I want to thank all of you who tune in every couple weeks to hear the council. And I think you're going to be excited about today's show. <clears throat> so before we get started into uh, the, how the martial arts, I want to kind of preface this with a little understanding about, um, you know, one of the philosophies out there, you know. 
Uh, how, you know, the, the main question that we're trying to ask today is how do the martial arts facilitate and encourage healing? You know, what spiritual strengths are hidden in the obvious combativeness of this art? And does it have the power to transform the destructive nature of violence into a balanced understanding of the universal forces of nature within the man or the woman? You know, the creative force and the destructive force. Now, before we get into uh, and talk with our esteemed guest, I want to share you a little history about the samurai warrior. Now, the samurai had an honor code, and it was called the Bushido Code. And for us to understand the importance of the Bushido Code, you have to examine the history a little bit of the samurai. Now, the word bushi is a synonym of warrior, and it served as the root word for Bushido. And the word samurai originally meant one who serves and referred to the men of noble birth assigned to guard members of the imperial court. Now, the history of the samurai began in the 8th century, and these were fierce warriors, and who they lived by the law of the sword. And then towards around the uh, end of the 12th century, power in Japan shifted into a military dictatorship called the Kamakura Shogunate. And this initiated Japan's feudal period, which went from about 1185 A.D. to 1867. And the country was essentially under military control for over 700 years. And it was under this, this shogunate that was trying to bring stability to the country, this initial stability of the Kamakura shogunate, but it ultimately failed to bring a lasting peace. And in 1467... The national military government collapsed and then began the infamous wars called the Age of Wars, a bloody century of strife when local warlords fought to protect their lands and confiscate the lands of others through conquest. The term samurai had come to signify armed government officials, peacekeeping officers, and professional soldiers. In short, Anyone who carried a sword and would use deadly force. Now, the worst of these samurai warriors were no better than street thugs. And yet the best were, fierce loyal, were fiercely loyal to their masters and followed an unwritten code of chivalrous, chivalrous behavior known as Bushido. And Bushido translates. I think this is great. It's, it's, it's really it's fantastic. It translates as precepts of knighthood or the way of the warrior. Isn't that cool? <laughs> Finally, when Japan was pacified with the establishment of the Tokugawa shogunate, which is around 1600, the role of the samurai changed dramatically. Their role as professional fighters disappeared. They became less preoccupied with martial training and more concerned with spiritual development, teaching, and the arts. Japanese art forms popular among the samurai began to flourish at this age. Tea ceremonies, I'm sure some of you have participated in tea ceremonies. This is where it came from. Rock gardens, flower arranging, and a very unique screen style of painting. They're absolutely beautiful. And the samurai were called upon not only to develop their strength, 
but also their civility and compassion. Thus, the Bushido Code became the code of conduct on how chivalrous men should act in their personal and professional lives. And overall, this Bushido Code calls for an appreciation and respect for life and teaches people to lead by example, show benevolence, and show mercy. And so what is this Bushido Code? What is it? What is it? These are the eight principles of the Bushido Code. And they begin with, number one is justice. Justice was the core value of the samurai. Incorporating the Bushido principle of justice into your life requires reflecting on what is fair and, what it, and upholding the value of upstanding moral courage. Courage is the second code, or the second principle. Courage, like justice, entails deciphering what is right and wrong. Courage requires the strength not only to perceive, but also to act. Third principle is compassion. Compassion is the ability to manifest love and sympathy through patience. This is that virtue of patience. It also requires attempting to see the world from the perspective of another. This is an especially important trait for those in a leadership role. The fourth principle is respect. Respect means that you acknowledge your regard for the experiences and feelings of others. In order to collaborate with another person, politeness must be employed. Number five is integrity. This is such a big one. This is, this is so huge. We've talked a lot about on this show about integrity. In order to practice many of the other principles listed, one has to maintain integrity. That's being true to yourself, being honest with yourself, means living honestly and sincerely, and doing the right thing when nobody else is watching. Number six is honor. Samurai were warriors who upheld a sense of self-worth, a deeply held sense of self-worth and self-esteem, and lived by the highest code of conduct. In order to abide by the principles of honor, you must acknowledge your moral responsibilities. The seventh principle is loyalty. But to understand loyalty, you must first stay true to yourself. You must be loyal to you as well. And when fealty is given to another, this must not be abandoned even under the most difficult circumstances. And boy, oh boy, are we having a question of conscience on that here in America right now. Number eight, self-control. Self-control in the Bushido Code means adhering to this code under all circumstances, when with others and when alone. And not every iteration of the Bushido Code includes self-control, but the book Bushido, the Soul of Japan, written by Inatso Nitobi, highlights its importance. Folks, can you imagine if we all lived with that code? If we adhered to it and embodied it and imbued it? Well, this is what the martial arts and other forms of it embody. That's what they offer. And how does this all relate to healing? Well, we're going to find out. Let me now introduce to you our special guest.
His name is Scott K. Kearney. He is a lifelong student of combative and survival arts and warrior philosophies, having earned teaching certificates in multiple martial systems. He's retired from government service. Mr. Kearney completed tours as a soldier, a diplomat, and an intelligence officer, primarily serving special operations and counterterrorism units. Mr. Kearney is a passionate advocate for healthy communities, personal mastery, and self-actualization. His current projects include work as a freelance writer and coach and sharing the paths of Natural Spirit International and Soldier's Heart. Welcome to the show, Scott. Hey, how's it going? Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. It's glad to have you. I mean, I'm sorry. I, I, I hope I could feel your sense and presence. I wanted to get you on as quickly as I could. Um, <laughs> can you share just a little bit about your background with everybody so that people get a sense of who you are and why you're doing this work today? Sure. Yeah. Um, so I started all of this, I think, when I was about 10. Um, I was really attracted to to the martial arts and that sense of, you know, I was a small kid, so I wanted to have that personal power, right? Uh, every little boy dreams of being a soldier or something like that, cowboy, and, you know, being able to defeat the neighborhood bully and, you know, standard stuff like that. So I, I got into martial arts. I started uh, training in a type of kung fu with a family friend. Um, which was really interesting. And then I also started spending a lot of time in libraries, uh, um, you know, sort of an after-school daycare kind of thing, and happened to find the, you know, the Code of Bushido, finding works of Buddhist masters and Taoist sages who were talking about the value of martial arts, and that just sort of reinforced to me the value of what it was that I was doing. Um, I didn't really know any better at the time than to take all of that as gospel truth rather than some sort of idealized form of perfection. So to understand it better, I got into full contact fighting and kickboxing, karate, that kind of thing. That wasn't good enough. Um, you know, I didn't find it enough there. So I joined the army. Um, I was in university at the time. We had just entered Afghanistan, and I decided that since I was going to do that anyway, might as well go into the Army, enlisted, did that for one tour, uh, about four years, and then got out, was recruited into the government, where I served in the intelligence community and special operations for another 12 years, just retired uh, about a year ago from injury, and after all that, decided that I wanted to open up a dojo and start teaching, but had to figure out what it was that I wanted to teach. You know, it's more than the wrist locks, the punching and the kicking. And uh, I had to do a lot of soul searching and come back to exactly the stuff that you were talking about, mm -hmm. find some mentors and uh, uh, start helping people. And I found that what I was doing for myself really, really helped me recover from some of the lesser positive experiences of my time, mm -hmm. gave me renewed insight into the works of ancient masters because now I could actually understand what it was they were talking about when they were talking about lethal violence and community and then went from there. So that's in a nutshell. That's great. No, I mean, I, I, I you, were, you were saying um, about how you began martial arts and uh, I, a lot of people don't, uh, who, who listen to the show don't know this, but I had done karate, taekwondo when I was a little kid and I would love that, you know, <laughs> doing 
and I was just moving around and feel and it, just the movement and being able to move the body in those ways and the sense of like you talked about wanting to protect others, wanting to beat the the bully down the street, wanting to make you know there was always that innate sense of wanting to protect, and I think that's one of the things that people who have that warrior archetypal pattern energy in them, whether you're serving the military, whether police officer, firefighter, first responder, those types of people that run in. You always want, that's that initial sense of wanting to protect. And I loved doing the Taekwondo. How old, and I think I was about eight years old when I, when I first did it. How old were you yep. when you first began the martial arts training? And, you know, what, what really drew you to those ancient practices? Was it, was it just being in the, in the sense that you were doing something unique? So it, it was kind of mixed. I, I started when I was about 10. I think I showed the interest probably as soon as I could talk or walk. Um, you know, I've, I've never not known a time where it didn't fascinate me. Um, but my formal study began when I was about 10 years old, um, just through happenstance. And that was really, really cool. The physical experience of it was really what kept me going. You know, when you're a kid and a high school, you know, teenager in your 20s, life is really physical, especially, I think, for males, but just as much for women. Um, you know, my, my wife is a uh, judo black belt in her own right, and she loves the workout. So that was very much a big part of it. Um, but what really fascinated me were these Hollywood ideas of self-expression, self-actualization, you know, cartoons where like you've got the ninja master who, you know, explodes in a ball of light because he's reached that high zenith of, you know, personal capability. And, um, you know, the, the ancient sage with the, you know, beard down to his knees, who's sitting on some mountaintop somewhere and, you know, doing the whole like Lion King Rafiki thing. Um, and I wanted to be those people. I wanted to be that whole person. And through the literature and the physical practice i found that mm -hmm. and i believed in that uh, um so totally a child of the 80s oh, um i i totally agree i mean i i, I watched uh you know bruce lee films and kung fu films <laughs> all those times and they were always something that i was like you know gosh what do they have that i don't have? what is it that they are able to embody in themselves and being able to stay so centered and being able to move through those and being able to t i was so curious about that Yep. Absolutely. And I think the, oh, for sure. And the best part about it was, you know, Kung Fu is very physically demanding and it's not really, f I find that it's harder for older people to get into later in life because of the physical demands. And, you know, that's not to say that there aren't types that are good for elderly or um, people with injury, myself included. Um, but one of the cool things was I started out, I'm 10 years old, I'm kind of weak, I don't know anything. And then all of a sudden, within six months, just dedicated practice, I'm doing flying jump kicks, spinning back <laughs> kicks, these, you know, crazy moves with the arms that look like the thing on Hollywood. And it's like, it's not that those guys have it and I don't, it's that I've never worked at it. Right. And it gave me that discipline to say, I can do anything if I chip away at it. And that honestly was the number one thing that drove me through the military i mean i started as an e2 mm. i didn't know anything and by the time i retired i was a civilian equivalent of an o5 oh, you know wow. acting o6 wow. at times yeah and i worked with the most elite guys and gals out there and it was because 
I just said, there's nothing I can't achieve. Mm -hmm. And that strictly came my time doing martial arts from the age of 10. I just, you know, we were saying about being able to do those jump kicks and things like that. It reminded me, I used to love to do the sweep kick, you know, and you would do yeah. like you'd run in back. When I was a kid, I was like, oh, I can do this. It was, you know, anyway. Um, you, when you joined the military, um, what, did you tear, carry, the, initially, you know, I had that real strong sense of service. And even before I knew like the Bushido principles, you know, I knew there was a sense of honor code that I had already was born with. And I, under, and I understood it, even though I didn't know it, hadn't broken it down. Um, did this infuse your military life? Uh, what was your training like? I mean, was it able to bolster you during difficult and challenging times that you, may, that you probably had? How did it help you while you were in service? Um, so the, the easy answer is to say that, you know, as, as I said before, there's, it gave me that sense of everything is possible. It doesn't, you know, the, the security and confidence I had in myself and my personal capability, um, just never stopped. And it came from that thing. I mean, one of my very first teachers, I remember told me that his ability to fight gave him the confidence to choose not to fight. It gave him the confidence to say, I don't have to do whatever this thing is that I don't want to do because you can't make me. At the same time, if I want to do something, I can make my body, my mind, my spirit adapt to that thing. And while I was in the military, that served me incredibly well. There was, like I said, there was no challenge that I said I couldn't do. Mm -hmm. um, what was difficult, though, and this is kind of what was fascinating to me and one of the things I'm still trying to understand, was I had this idea of what warriorship was. You know, it was that idealized sense of Bushido that you talked about. It was that idealized sense of what the Shaolin monks were all about, of, you know, we use combat for self-enlightenment. And then I joined the army. And that is not really in the United States military. And I don't think it's in any modern military, uh, to be honest. And that might be controversial to some. Um, but to me, it's very mechanical. You know, and that's what I got out of it. It was, I'm in basic training at Fort Benning. Do your 40 push-ups. Do your 75 push-ups. Go do your 20 pull-ups. Now run over here, pretend to stab this thing. Now run over here, shoot this thing. And there's no time for reflection. There's no time for you know, evaluation of what it is that you're doing. It's stimulus, response, stimulus, response. And that's really understandable. It makes a killer really, really quickly. Um, but it doesn't, and necessarily, it doesn't give you the time to really contemplate the fact that you are training to kill someone. Mm -hmm. And my experience in martial arts gave me that. You know, the samurai were trained from birth for what they did. They were developed mentally, physically, spiritually for this sacred act of protecting and sometimes that protecting means killing or fighting or espionage or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that was really absent early on in my military career. And that was kind of um, frustrating and disconcerting mm -hmm. because I saw a lot of people who were doing all these, you know, very legal, very sane, rational things, but without a sense of the um, sacredness of what we were doing. I mean, 
you know, not to get super macabre or depressing, but you drop a bomb on a on a building, you kill say fifty to a hundred people. You should probably think about what just happened, mm-hmm. and that can be debilitating. What I found from my martial arts experience was the ability to endure through that because I had developed myself, because I had had these mentors, these teachers, and these writings that prepared me for that experience, for that expectation, although it was obviously way more massive than anything I could ever read about. You know, going through it is a different experience, as you know. Um, But so there, there were very real distinctions in terms of the focus of the military training. But without it, I wouldn't have the understanding of the martial arts of myself, of humanity that I do today. So it was it was really um, different than expected. And I'm grateful for it. But, yeah, it was uh, eye-opening, the, the, the difference. Oh, I imagine you are. Yeah, absolutely. It is a huge difference. And when people don't recognize it, one of the... When I went to the academy, we all we all had an honor code that we had to take. It was we will not lie, steal, or cheat, nor tolerate among us anyone who does. Well, that's great, and those are good values, and that was important. But it didn't go deep enough, in my opinion. Like what you're talking about, we didn't talk into the nature of the soul. We didn't get into those things that these ancient masters that you're talking about in the martial arts, what they were cultivating, those eight principles about respecting and honoring and compassion and being able to understand that force and that power to destroy. When you understand that power that you hold within you, you can hold that in reverence. I mean, it's a sacred thing, and it's not something to be used unjustly, unwisely, without, uh, you know, uh, having serious contemplation over it because you know you're about to take life. That's a huge deal. And so if you're not preparing people to be able to handle the responsibility of that, of being that protector, of being that defender against those who might try to harm us, if you're not, you're not helping them to deal with some of the issues that come up with having to challenge yourself to, 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 to confront loss of life, to confront killing, to confront uh, friends who are lost uh, because of you are in that that protective ring, keeping everyone else safe while you go out into the unknown. And these ancient masters were able to understand that they knew and uh, and your martial arts training it helped you and served you. Now, in your military service, you were a soldier. Where did you serve? Did you serve overseas? Uh, what was your service like? Uh, yeah. So I, uh, I enlisted in the Army in February. Let's see. I showed up at basic training February of 2003. Uh, and I went through Fort Benning as, you know, the, the BCT, basic combat training. Then I went to AIT, became an interrogator and a intelligence collector. Um, and then I went to Fort Bragg. Uh, that's where I happened to get stationed. Went through some... It was funny, actually. The my very first week that I showed up happened to be hand to hand week, so I kind of was a little bit of a standout from day one, which was really helpful. Right. <laughs> you know, I avoided some of the hazing that that just goes part and parcel with that. Um, but from there, because of that, I had some uh, assignments as a bodyguard. Uh, personal security detail mm-hmm. um, went to Iraq spent the entirety of 2005 in Mosul and Nineveh province mm-hmm. um, yeah it was it was definitely an experience oh, oh, oh. yep um, wound up 
breaking one of my knees. So as soon as I got back, I had planned to go to SFAS, Special Forces Selection. Uh, that opportunity was denied me for medical reasons, and I mourned that for a while because I'd been working with the Green Berets mm-hmm. and wanted to be one. Um, and then as I was getting out, um, had this uh, serendipitous experience where my name got shuffled through some, some folks, and a recruiter came down from Washington, D.C., uh, convinced me to join the government in a different capacity, uh, went through that, and then went back to war. So in a elevated version of what I was doing before. <laughs> well, it sounds like you've had a, a wide variety of experiences that help to frame and give you a context and understanding, true context, an understanding of the warrior's experience, the full breath, the light and the shadow, because there's a light yep. manifestation of the warrior, and there's certainly a shadow manifestation of the warrior, where it becomes all about carnage and destruction and violence and yep. slaughter. And then the other part of it is the protection and the, the full realization of, of being able to energize and command and, and, and protect and defend, all of that. I mean, so th- those are the two dy- yep. polarizing dynamics of it. And every person who is called to this service has to be able to balance those forces, the light and the dark within them. They have to. And if they project the darkness outside of them and they don't understand it, all of a sudden you, you start to participate in the very things that you are denying about the nature of warriorhood that is part and parcel of, of this experience. You know, it's... Uh... Not, not to cut you off, it's, it's kind of great you say that because that's very much how I like to think about it. And you were talking earlier about, um, you know, the, the humanity, the destruction, you know, the things that we carry inside of us just as being people. And I really got on this track when I came across this writing, I forget what it was, um, that talked about that, you know, the light and the dark, the yin and the yang in the human experience. And... It seemed to me, and I hold true to this now, it is basically the core of what I do and why, that as human beings, if we do not fully embrace, accept, and understand through experience both aspects of that, the destruction and the life-giving, we can't be whole people uh, because we run from those things that we fear, what even if that is ourself, right? So if we can't embrace that, control it, and learn how to harness it in a healthy, constructive way, we're not being true to our potential as people, as members of society. And it was for that reason that I said, I want to do the fighting. I want to do the life-giving. I want to do the spirituality, all of that stuff. And then within that fighting, I want to do the light and the dark, the espionage and the assassination and the conventional soldiery so that I have that holistic experience so I can be that whole person that I've always wanted to be, that I think we can be as people. Um but so many people, I think, run away from it. And that's what makes martial arts, to me, so great, is it gives people a chance to approach that negative in a safe, controlled way mm-hmm. so that they can learn to tame their own beast, control their own anger, all of those things that we have and we can't get away from as people. Right. But if we don't learn it, we'll never never really be able to understand it and actually you know, temper it and do away with it. I agree. Well said. Uh, you know, it, It's one of those things that people... If they can really grasp and understand how important it is to own your own shadow, 
how important it is to be able to master your own shadow. That the great, one of the greatest moral things that you can do in your life, in your world, in everything, is to own your darkness, yours. Yes. And that will actually create more light. Because you're taking away Absolutely. from the collective darkness that's out there, and you're saying, yep, this is mine. This is my capacity to do darkness. This is my capacity to do evil. This is my capacity to bring negative. This is me. And you start to bring that in. You start to contain it and hold it and understand it. It has an alchemy that happens and transforms. And martial arts actually helps you to be able to do that. And it, we're going to get it to what you do here in just a second. But I want to be able to get back. When you came back from the service and your experiences, did you, have, did you struggle uh, when you came back? After you got all done and, you know, how would you feel? Was it, was it tough to, for you? Uh, to reintegrate back into society, uh, what was that like for you? If you don't mind. Um, yeah, it's it's an ongoing struggle to be frank. Um, you know, I think I don't think it ever gets easy so much as you can become more practiced at it. Um, and that you know, that's not to say that there's some sort of sociopathic you know element of just you know covering it up. Um, what what I mean by that is my experience was that I had um, experienced, you know, especially after that first tour in 2005, you know, I'd seen, guy, I'd seen guys with bullet holes in their heads, um, shot in the face, blown up, take a pick. Um, and I had experienced that thing that I really went there to see, which was war, you know, humanity at its worst and its best. I mean, just some of the greatness that was out there was phenomenal. Um, and coming home, I felt that I, I wasn't disconnected so much as I was dislocated from a disconnected society. Um, I had experienced what I thought was truth. I knew myself. I knew the people around me. I knew life. Um, and everybody around me was, you know, all my friends from college from high school uh people that i was starting to meet they were you know worried about what was on tv they were worried about all these things that just seemed so banal to me and pointless that was the hard part and then because i was now the outlier i was the anomaly i assumed that there was something wrong with me which is part of the reason i went back into government um i tried not to and i just couldn't stop so <laughs> Uh, yeah, I was like, I'm not done yet, and I don't understand what the heck is going on here, so let me go back and do that thing that was kind of interesting. Um, and it, while I was doing that, you know, as an intelligence officer, part of your job is to integrate into other cultures, other societies, and, and seem like one of them or so much the outsider that they're attracted to you. And using that, I was able to look at the people around me to find a way to integrate into civilian society even if I didn't feel comfortable with it and that was really really tough because I was no longer being true to who I was I was not expressing that mm -hmm. so from there martial arts you know not to sound evangelical but martial arts really became my savior because then I could go in and I could do all those things that I knew how to do I could be the person that I knew how to be in that tiny realm on the on the mat in the dojo and reconnect with who I felt I really was and then learn to express that so the short version is if I came back from Iraq the first time in uh, late 2005 early 2006 
it's been something of a struggle since then. But when I really retired back in March uh, recently, um, you know, it's been even more of a struggle because now I've got even more unique experiences. But it's because I think other people don't have the ability to understand what I've been through, what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And that's where I got into the work that I do to try to explain it to people in a way that they could experience themselves. Um, but yeah, man, it's definitely, there's been dark times. It continues to be, but you know, with the help of soldiers heart, um, natural spirit, Mm -hmm. talking to people like you, making connections with other people. It's, uh, it's definitely very good. And I find that it's not nearly as difficult as it was, even though the struggle will always be there. Well, and that's, and that's, you know, one of the things, you know, uh, the samurai were doing was they were trying to master that destructive element in them and they were using the arts to be able to do that. They were do the paintings and the gardens and the tea ceremonies that have become so popular among some of the spiritual communities around us and this sense of sacredness and divine and, and calling in your soul back. You're retrieving your soul. You're doing soul retrieval as you do these, do these uh, expressions of your creativity, of being a participant in society, of getting out there and helping your community to rebuild those things. Those are all part and parcel of reclaiming those aspects of us. And, um, and like you talk about with Soldier's Heart, Soldier's Heart's the, the, the model, the, the methodology of being able to, to take back your spirit, to understand the, the, the moral and spiritual and soul dimensions of uh, accepting, you know, uh, tending to your wounds and then accepting your destiny and then learning how to do some purification and healing and storytelling and and ritual and all these things are all are part of those ancient traditions that understood what was going on behind our eye not what was going in front of us and physically what was going behind our eye and inside our soul and all the things that are going on inside here that's what they were concerned about because they were concerned about the soul and you've and if you're not nurturing and caring for that that's where you get all this symptomology of people struggling and not being able to cope and, 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 and having to feel like there's something wrong with them. There's nothing wrong with you. This is normal. This is part you being in those situations was abnormal. And so those are normal reactions and, and normal responses in an abnormal situation. Now, absolutely. It's, go ahead. Oh, um, yeah, it's, you know, talking about the samurai using that, it's, kind of interesting because if you read almost anything written by the samurai back in the day particularly before um they tempered themselves and tried to you know become civilized the the big thing that they always said was that you have to have both war and letters right they understood that you're just practicing bestial action by learning to kill someone but that will awaken that human that animal part in the soul that is a part of us then you have to have those artistic expressions in order to release that, to develop humanity and society, which I think is important because to me, art is what separates us from everything else. You know, that is the foundation of society and human, human experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, that was kind of how I got into this was um, I was in hospital uh, when I came back, when I started to get out, you know, I torn both my shoulders, broken the other knee, uh, over adrenaline production, couldn't sleep, all that stuff. So I spent a lot of time in a hospital in the VA. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And I got linked up with playing guitar. Mm-hmm. Guitar then 
gave me this uh, nonprofit organization, if you don't mind a quick shout out, um, called uh, Creative Vets. They took me to Nashville. I wrote a song with, uh, with Ryan Beaver to sort of express some of that stuff. And that reawoke all those things that I needed to have so that I could say, you know, let me take this new wisdom, this new knowledge and give that in a constructive manner back to society that is meaningful to me, which I think is what Soldier's Heart um, is all about. And that's, you, you can't deny both either of those facets of the human experience and really understand everything we are as humans to me. No, I agree. And one of the things that helped me out when, with my struggles that I had was the theater, was the arts. You know, I dove right into the theater and studied, went to theater school and trying to reconnect. You know, essentially I was trying to reconnect back to my own humanity because I'd lost it along the way. I wasn't living by these principles. I knew them, but I didn't live by them because what I saw and what I had was participating in uh, violated everything that these, that in my opinion, in my experience, that what these uh, values, what these principles are all about. And uh, so I, I abandoned myself. I did my yeah. own soul abandonment on that. And that's on me. And, uh, and then I had to refine my way back. And arts and theater was the way I had done it, was to reconnect and find the beauty of the human experience and all those things. And I had a long journey coming out of it. But it was the arts, much like what you experienced that helped me to come out of that. And the ancient Greeks also did that. They knew that theater was a part of the healing. And they did all this ancient theater, the, the great morality plays that they did, where, where theater and movies and all that stuff, that started in Greece. And they were doing that to help their veterans heal and recover and make sense, yeah. all of those things. So... Um, what is the, you know, many of our brothers and sisters, when they come back, they're struggling uh, to fit back into society, moving through it. And then one of the pathways we both talked about right now is Soldier's Heart. I've been with Soldier's Heart, uh, part of them for since, two, I think, 2013. Uh, they, have, they have transformed me in ways I couldn't, couldn't possibly uh, uh, describe. Uh, we would have to have another hour before if we could, we could do that, to yeah, be able to do this. For sure. To do it right. Um, and it's a, and Dr. Tick and, and Kate have been important figures, uh, monumental figures in my life, in order to get me to be even to be able to have this show. Now you've been touched by Soldier's Heart as well, and we're going to talk about Natural Spirit International here in just a moment. But how do you feel by just starting to understand these deeper moral and spiritual dimensions of the wound? Do you think this is the right approach, and why? And how does it help? For all the veterans who are listening out there, how does this, these kinds of processes help to try to make sense of his or her experiences that they're not getting anywhere else? So I think it goes back to what we talked about earlier, where my understanding of the military experience today as developed from the Prussian model, right, of sort of that auto factory assembly line, you know, combat combatant creator method where we just snap pieces together send you out like a machine bring you home and that's that you find your way to deal with it you know we've outsourced internally to the military i think a lot of that spiritual guidance to religion um right or wrong and i'm not knocking religion i'm just saying that they're separating those two pieces and what i think soldier's heart does that's unique is it puts them back together and 
So to me, it's not just that Soldier's Heart is only for um, recovery and rehabilitation and that kind of thing. What I have taken from Soldier's Heart, and I don't have as much experience as you with it, but uh, I'm trying, um, <laughs> is is it's a way it's a way I think to understand and expand oneself using the archetype of the warrior it gives you a framework that's pre-existing an idea that is shared across any number of cultures and times to begin to construct a way of looking at the world of um, finding a place a box if you will to put all of those experiences inside of a rubric that you can then accept individualize own and express in whatever way you want so you don't have to have i think um been out there and you know experienced combat necessarily so much as maybe you want to deal with who you are as a person you want to um understand what it's like for the total human experience maybe you're a law enforcement officer a first responder a nurse a doctor who's had to deal with um giving life taking life saving life and you have those very sacred, very human, very um, transformative experiences. And Soldier's Heart, to me, gives us an ancient framework to understand that in a modern context. Whatever that looks like for each person is, you know, the cool thing about it. There's, there's no one way to get it done. It's this is the ancient blueprint. You take that and do with that what you need to do with that to make sense of your experiences of yourself and become the whole person you can be so to me yeah it's totally valid totally relevant and it's taking the ancient making it modern yep. and i i can't think of a better way to get it done <laughs> me neither i actually can't i mean it's like yeah and uh, you, you pointed it. it's it's a blueprint for you to be able to work for yourself it is not something that says you do this and this is the end result no it's about you not only retrieving parts and aspects of your soul doing that soul retriever but who am I now? What am I all about now? And getting back to that place that says, you know what? I'm enough. I'm enough. I'm enough just as the way I am, who I am. And the full embodiment of that, that rubrics being able to navigate in yourself, these, this journey, this warrior's journey is a map for you to walk. But only you can walk it, as the Buddhists say, as, as, as Buddha talked about. You, we can, I, every teacher can lead you to, to, to the path, but you've got to walk the path. Only you can walk it. Yep. Nobody else can walk it for you. They can say, that's the path. you got to take that path. But if you don't take it, you, you, you stay suffering. And so I believe so in this in so much. Now, we're coming on. Uh, I can't believe how fast the show goes sometimes. Uh, you have a thing. <laughs> yeah, right. It's crazy. <laughs> I don't know why. You know, we could, we could literally, Scott, we, you and I, we could probably have a, a, a three-hour conversation here. But I want to get into, I want to get some of the things that you're doing now, and so that people can know and get in contact with you. But first, um, you belong to a group called Natural Spirit International. Uh, could you tell us what uh, what it is? What is Natural Spirit International? Sure, Natural Spirit International is a confederation of martial artists. It was started by Datu Kelly Warden, who was the hand-to-hand -hand trainer for First Special Forces Group out here in Washington for a really long time. He was one of the senior students and first non-Filipinos to be ever given the title of martial arts chief by Ernesto, or excuse me, Remy Preces back in the day. 
Um, you know, he was the guy who brought Arnis and a lot of Filipino martial arts to America and the North, uh, North American continent. And Kelly is a master and teacher of Jeet Kune Do as a philosophy. Jeet Kune Do, as you know, some people are aware, was Bruce Lee's art, and it was about self-expression. So, you know, wanting to break away from the idea that there is only one style, jiu-jitsu, boxing, karate, that is the best style or the only style, um, you know, Kelly, I think, created natural spirit to say all styles are relevant. There is no real style. There is just fighting. And fighting is meant to make us better people, not to be able to beat the crap out of somebody, but to learn how to harness ourselves, learn how to protect the people we care about, stay safe ourselves, and find a path for self-development in a shared community of people who understand that, who understand how brutal life can be and how much we need to elevate ourselves above that while staying rooted in that truth. That, to me, is Natural Spirit International. There's um, a handful of teachers around the country. They are all excellent martial artists and, as far as I've met, really good people. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, it's one of the very few organizations that I personally rep and am extremely proud to be a part of. When they made me a associate or apprentice instructor, excuse me, it was at a camp. It was a three-day camp where you kind of show your martial arts chops, but they have to bless off on you as a council, as a tribal group, to say not how much money have you paid, how long have you been around, but who are you as a person? Do we validate your technical understanding? Yes. Are you a good person to be able to develop us, other people, and develop that warrior community in the whole in the best possible sense? cool, now you can be a beginning instructor and the rest will happen. So to me, Natural Spirit International is that martial arts community, that tribe of first responders, law enforcement people, concerned civilians. Um, There's no politics, there's no religion. It's just a, a tribe of warriors who come from very different backgrounds and want to help nurture each other. That's fantastic. Um, that's that's really fantastic. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. I love that. Yeah. Warriors from all, I love how warriors from all different cultures, societies, um, traditions coming together and celebrating the warrior spirit and balancing the, the yin and the yang, uh, coming into the Tao, you know, into that balance, into that balanced state. Now, you have tested this theory of being able to use the, um, how, uh, excuse me, how have you tested the theory that you're proposing, and dis- and how did you discover it? So um, I actually found it when I I came home, uh, and while I was in the hospital, I, I needed to rebuild my body, right? Like I gained a lot of weight from the medication that I was on to lower my adrenaline. Um, my joints were beyond broken. My muscles were atrophying. So I had to literally rebuild myself. I couldn't lift weights. I couldn't go running. I couldn't do any of the stuff that I was accustomed to. And I ran into this um, Tai Chi master, Ralph Rodriguez out of New York. Uh, He doesn't really teach too many people. Um, And he he gave me this experience of qigong which is a um, ancient method of body and spirit strengthening right Mm -hmm. Uh, really cool stuff so I started there then from there I started learning tai chi again 
I ran in, uh, I was fortunate enough to meet some masters, um, Alex Dong, Jane Sun, uh, Andy Holmes, um, some of the others, and they gave me Tai Chi, which is all about physical structure and body strengthening. When I was practicing Japanese jiu-jitsu, which, you know, is my highest ranking black belt, I learned how to fight. I learned how to put my emotions into fighting, how to extract emotions and calm and meditation and that kind of thing. And then Tai Chi, you know, again, there's no one system, right? They all kind of work together. Gave me this physical control and physical structure to get my body back. Mm -hmm. And I needed to figure out how to put those, that emotional content, that spiritual, um, wisdom that I had found through war into those movements by unifying those practices of real combat understanding, real technical um, value of fighting with that emotional wisdom, emotional substance um, in a very Tai Chi slow controlled fashion. Mm -hmm. I learned how to regain control over my actions. I learned how to slow down my fighting. So it wasn't, stimulus guy looks at me weird i break his face that mm -hmm. stopped happening mm -hmm. um and then i got hooked up with datu warden kelly and he started showing me how to not you know in the context of knife fighting which is extremely visceral right mm -hmm. and scary he said cool let's look at how we don't have to just enter and kill we can step back evaluate the situation while staying safe using validated techniques to reassess the situation, give the op the opposition the chance to stop doing what they're doing because they've been hurt rather than just decimated. Mm -hmm. And then we regain control over the situation. We don't have to engage in things we don't want to do. Mm -hmm. So that dual track, man, gave me everything I am today. I started teaching it to other guys who were going through similar processes. Mm -hmm. Um, similar difficulties and said, let's start with rebuilding your body in a controlled way. Apply the, take this language of violence, slow it down, mm -hmm. get mastery over that, add the emotional content, and then we can start finding out who we are again. And it's just been doing wonders for me. It's been doing wonders for guys that I know. It's been healing uh, long-term martial artists who have injuries, um, you know, putting the body and the spirit back together for people who feel disconnected from one of those. Yeah, that's, that's, that's how I discovered it, what I do. That's amazing. I mean, and that's, you know, and do you, and do you feel, I mean, <clears throat> that, I mean, why isn't this practice more prolific? I mean, what makes it so distinct as compared to other practices? Because you mentioned Tai Chi and you mentioned Qi Jong, and I love those. And, and it's all about movement of energy and being able to push and consolidate. <laughs> And doing this movement yep. here and being able to master yourself and, and all those things. Uh, so what makes your method and of practice so distinct and unique? I think it's a couple of things. But the, the short answer is, one, I don't think enough martial arts teachers have experience with real fighting. Mm -hmm. um, oh, yeah. And, you know, you, you just can't teach. You can teach technique for sure and you can be very well intentioned but if you don't have that baseline understanding then you don't really understand the context of what you're trying to give someone alternatively there's a lot of people who have a lot of experience in fighting oftentimes ring fighting which is very valuable in and of itself um who don't have the spiritual practice right so you have to have both of those then you have to have a technical understanding that 
really fits and isn't rationalized. And I think not enough people understand how watered down their experiences are. And I'm not trying to denigrate anyone. I went through it too. Um, but that, I think, is the, the baseline that a lot of people are lacking. There's a lot of platitudes, a lot of reading that people can do, and they can spout all this ancient wisdom, but they haven't integrated it into their physical practice. I know a guy who was a CIA contractor for a long time, and he used to say all this samurai wisdom and all this other stuff, and then he would turn around and look at me, and he's like, but you understand that really has nothing to do with any of it. And we're just here to kill people. I'm like, I feel like you missed something. Yeah. There was a big um, disconnect from whatever the words were. And then the, the heart and the soul compact, the spiritual understanding of it. I mean, you, if you yep. don't have that, you are just an automaton. You will, you will, you will descend to your baser instincts. You will, it will be yep. inevitable. It will be inevitable. Exactly. And we want to elevate those things. Mm -hmm. So you can be a master of fighting or a master of the spirit, but it's just it's just rare to have both. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm fortunate to have some really good teachers who've been able to give me that. Uh, and I still work at it. But that's I, in a nutshell, that's why I would say it's not as prolific. <laughs> and I love that you're introducing it. I love that you're bringing that out. And it's about bringing in the, the, the shadow warrior and the light warrior together to fuse them back, to make them whole again. I mean, that's one of the whole, what's one of the themes of the show is to make whole what has been, uh, dis, you know, bro not bro necessarily broken, but pulled apart in such a way that it is not integrated and assimilated and, and made to be what it is supposed to be. Now, a lot of people have different ideas about as to the philosophies and values of martial arts ranging from some notion of Zen enlightenment to its function as a pure sport and aggression like MMA and or street fighting skills. What's your take on the utility of martial arts for people in general and warriors in particular? Is there a more historically accurate philosophy to martial arts than is commonly shared? Um, so I think you kind of got at it at the beginning of the show, which is, you know, the samurai came from fighting. If, if there's a philosophy to martial arts as a whole, globally, it's about fighting. It's about being able to win, being able to say, you can't make me do what I don't want to do. Now, some people take that aggressively and say, I'm going to make you do what I want you to do because I have the physical power. And there's cultural distinctions that decide what level of that is appropriate, what the appropriate philosophy is. But at the end of the day, it's really about we want to protect our tribe, we want to develop our community, mm -hmm. and we want our community to continue. Fighting only ever buys space and time. That was one of the issues in Iraq, Afghanistan, take your pick, right? War, soldiers, they get space and time. You have to fill that vacuum with something. In the American idea, it's going to be democracy. Other people have different ideas. <laughs> but... If you take that and you say martial arts at its base is about fighting, humanity is about more than just fighting. That's, to me, what really needs to be looked at. That tribal perspective of we have guys and gals who are absolutely able to protect us. We need to make sure that they have the full experience of being human as well. Mm -hmm. And we're going to unify those two things. That, to me, is the correct philosophy of martial arts. But you can reduce it to it's just about fighting. I agree. You can, but why would you? <laughs> yeah, right. 
Uh, you know, I, I can't, we're, we're right here at the end of the show, Scott. This is, uh, I can't believe it. Um, right? We did, you know, it goes so fast. I, honestly, um, what's the best way people to get in contact with you, share your information, your school, the things that you're doing, so that people who are veterans who are interested and others who are interested in getting, getting in martial arts can get in contact with you, learn about your school. Uh, so please share that and where they might be able to meet with you in the next few months if you have any events. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I'm actually in transition. Uh, I think my wife and I are moving, so I don't have a dedicated school. I do oh. teach <laughs> seminars. Uh, I teach seminars and I do um, a lot of writing, interviews, things like this. Um, I can be reached through my email, which is primaltrainingservices at gmail.com. Um, or, you know, they can try to find me, I guess, through LinkedIn or something. Uh, but again, that's primaltrainingservices at gmail.com. Uh, I'm, right now I'm teaching private lessons, seminars, open to interviews, writing, that kind of thing. Um, that's the best I can give you. Hopefully someday I can have a full school when we finish moving. There we go. I love it. If I can help you, I will. Because uh, I Thank love you. what you're doing, Scott. I think uh, you're leading the charge in something that is uh, that hasn't been done and should have been done a long time ago. And your innate wisdom and understanding and full breadth of the warrior experience uh, through your your your, your uh, the life experiences that you've had, the early childhood choices of being involved in the martial arts early, have brought you to a point and um, a, a convergence of these two elements that I think is going to blossom to something, and you're going to be of great service to the men and women who served and others who are trying to bring wholeness back to themselves. And I just really admire what you're doing, Scott. And um, thank you. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you, and thanks for the opportunity to put it out there. I really enjoyed talking with you. Likewise. Scott, Every um, all my guests, <clears throat> before we close the show, I always ask them one uh, if they could give one bit of advice. One piece of advice, one bit of wisdom from your life experience, what would it be? I'm going to share the life advice that I took from something uh, when I was a kid. I read Arnold Schwarzenegger's Bodybuilding Bible, mm -hmm. um, as you can tell by my wonderful physique. Um, and he was talking about going to the gym on the days that he doesn't want to go. It was a beautiful day in California. He didn't want to go to the gym. He wanted to go down to the beach. He put in a good workout the day before. So, of course, he went to the gym, and he said that he had one of the best workouts of his life that day. And that's the advice I would give is every single day, just keep going. You never know, you know, on those days where you really don't want to go, that may be the day that you have that best workout, that best learning experience, that very totally unexpected thing that changes everything for you. The trick is to not quit. Keep going and give it everything you have, even if that's 80% that day. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. I think that's one of the best advice we could ever get from anybody is to keep on going. Never give up. Never give up. Yep. Keep going. Uh, Scott, thank you so much for being here today, sir. Really enjoyed it. I wish we could have kept going on. Uh, folks, thank you out there for tuning in to the council. We will be back in two weeks with another fabulous guest. Tune in. I want to thank again KUHSDenver.com, Henry and all the people here, Sylvia, uh, and everyone else. Steve, uh, thank you so much. You guys got to watch this channel, listen to it, uh, serving the best music programs, not only here in Denver, but all across the nation and all across the world. 
Folks, thank you so much for tuning into the council. The council is adjourned. May you all be well. May you all be free of pain and suffering. And may you all be whole. God bless. See you again in two weeks. Listen, I don't know the type of tricks he playing, but I should warn you, I don't want your man. I understand why you wanna try, make him stay home late at night. But if he wanna go, he'll be gone, no lie. I can't explain how many times I tried, how many